Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War video briefing number six. In the last uh, briefing, the Holy Ghost talked about some very heavy things. Very heavy things. He is so desperate for us to be people of prayer individually and for his church to be a house of prayer. It's something we so easily forget. It is true that God is not a man. But man didn't pre-exist God or didn't coexist God. God created man, and he created man in his image and after his likeness, meaning there are some things about us that are like God. In other words, he gave us certain abilities and perspectives that, are, that really come right straight from him. One of those things is the ability to love. Another ability is the ability to hate. The Bible says there's things that God loves. There are things that God hates. Another God-like quality the scripture has given us or characteristic or whatever you would call it is the ability to choose. And not only the ability to choose, but the obligation to choose, the responsibility to choose, and the accountability for those choices. No other being ever created or given those opportunities and those qualifications and those responsibilities. The angels were created with the ability to choose, but they were not given the right to choose. Therefore, Lucifer made one choice that was to not do the will of God, and he got kicked out of heaven forever, and there's no redemption for him or the angels that followed his decision. But we humans, we were given not only the ability to choose, but the right to choose, the obligation to choose, the responsibility to choose, and the accountability for those choices. That's like God. There are other things that we can we have that God has. This is going to sound strange, but when he looked at man after he created man, he'd created all the animals, males and females. He created man. That was it. Created man. Man did not look around him and say, well, everybody else, there's two of them and they're all paired off. God, what are you doing? What's your problem here? Adam didn't do that. God looked down and said, it's not good for man to be alone. That was God's idea. That was God's expression. Well, how did we... How did God know it wasn't good for man to be alone? Because man was made in his image. God is love. There's never been a time that God wasn't love. God can't change. If he's love right now, he's going to be love forever. And he has been love from before the beginning of time, before everlasting. He was love, is love, will be love. He is Love. Well, what was God supposed to do when there was only him and nothing else, and he was love? So he made man and he, after his image and after, and after his likeness made him, gave him some God-like qualities. And then God pronounced what one of those was. He was man was given the ability to love. But what did who was man supposed to love? Loving the animals was not didn't fulfill that. So, like God, God is in the process of creating his wife, his bride, the one that he can love intimately forever. That's why, for those of us in the church, we will not be male or female. 
naturally speaking, in heaven because we're 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 not going to be marrying and giving in marriage in heaven. There will be people in eternity who are humans, sinless humans, yes, but they will be humans and they will be having children and they will be married, but we will be married to Christ alone. The church will be married to Christ alone. So he said, God, made man in his likeness. And he says of man, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, what does God consider aloneness and what does God consider not him being, not being alone? What? What is that? Well, first of all, the scripture says in Proverbs 18.1, through desire, a man having separated himself Seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Let me paraphrase this. Through hunger for God, we separate ourselves for periods of times from humans, from everything and everybody else, and give ourselves completely to God. And in that place of fellowship, he can talk to us, teach us, commune with us, communicate with us. Right. The scripture says that in Luke chapter 4, says it also in Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. And uh, that Greek word is translated also by some desert. But figuratively, the word means aloneness, aloneness. The man Christ Jesus started his ministry by spending 40 days alone with God. Why? Because this is, what was he doing those 40 days? Picking his teeth? No, he wasn't eating. Uh, surfing the net on, the, on his iPad? Nah, I don't think so. On social media, nah, no. He was alone with the Father. The man Christ Jesus was alone with the Father. We call that prayer. It's being with God. Now, I don't have to be isolated to pray all the time, but there is a desire that God has for us to focus on him for periods of time through the day where we're not doing anything else and we're not thinking of anything else. Now, obviously, if we're going to pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, then there will be times that we will pray, especially prayer in the Spirit, where we will be doing other things. That's one of the beauties of praying in the Spirit because I can pray in the Spirit. And... uh, My mind is not engaged, so therefore my mind can be doing other things like driving the car down the road while I pray in the Spirit or other such things. But there needs to be time every day that I'm alone with God. I love my wife. I love my family. I love others. I love the church. And there is, it's very positive for us to pray together. But it's also very positive for us to pray alone. Why? Because God wants our undivided attention for periods of time throughout the day. Now we can commune with him and talk with him and walk with him in the spirit all day long. Even though we have to do other things or he instructs us to do other things periodically. But the bottom line is this. I am called to fellowship with God. Now, what happens when his people don't give themselves to him? There's a verse in the scripture that just haunts me. I'm going to read that verse to you and then... uh, Then I'm going to read the previous verses. 
Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 31. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore say my people, we are lords, we will come no more unto thee. Seriously? That's exactly what so much of the people of God are saying to God. And the next verse is so just convicting. It hurts to read it. It hurts to say it. It hurts. The depth of the Lord's hurt and loneliness and feelings of abandonment are just saturated in this one short verse. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. My people. Just one short sentence as a part of that short verse of that one verse in all of the Bible. And yet there may not be any vo- any verse in the Bible more poignant, more full of God's feelings and emotions and, and regret and, and sorrow and feelings of rejection than is it conceivable that a woman on her wedding day would forget the trappings of a bride or forget to put on her bridal grant gown. <laughs> That's uh, the Lord used that illustration because how ridiculous is that? If this is her wedding day, that dress is everything, and the husband, that groom, is almost inconsequential compared to that dress. That dress is it. Woo! That dress is it. And the trappings of the bride whatever those ornaments would be referring to, all of those trappings that identify that maid as a bride. This is her day. She'd been dreaming of this day all of her life. She going to forget the trappings of being a bride? Is she going to not put on her wedding gown? Never. And the Lord used that focus and that intensity and the and the answer to that those questions kind of made forget her ornaments or a bride her attire it's so inconceivable to the culture of the people he was speaking this to and even in our culture today that he knew how how they would receive that he knew it And then he compared that focus, that drive, that intention. Nothing is going to get in the way of that bride adorning herself for her wedding. Nothing's going to get in the way of that bride putting on that dress she's she's labored over and others have labored over and struggled over to choose the perfect dress. She's not going to wear a, a, a bag of sackcloth that day after she's got a wedding. No, 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 she's not going to do that. The Lord used that kind of focus and said, Yet, my people have forgotten me days without number. To really understand this, to really get his feelings, because that's, that verse 32 is really just a summary of his feelings in Jeremiah chapter 2. And we're going to be... Or this is going to be the focus of this particular briefing. We're going to look at this chapter, and I want you to put the church in here because natural Israel is a precursor to spiritual Israel. And the natural promises, the natural things of the things the Lord said about the natural seed, the sands of the sea, apply to the spiritual seed, the stars of heaven. And we, according to Paul in Galatians and in Romans and other places, we are the children of Abraham by faith. And the words that belong to Israel fit us too. And oh, my friend, do they fit us today. 
Jeremiah 2, verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. And aren't we called, in the church called New Jerusalem, the mother of us all in Galatians 4? Saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. When you were out there in the wilderness and you had nothing and nobody, it was just you and me. I remember the words you said to me. I remember how you sought me. I remember how much you wanted me out there. He says, in that situation, Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Even evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. But hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are are become vain? What what a a question. What a question. I mean, first of all, you go, What do you mean, Lord? You can't do iniquity because iniquity is not doing your will and, and you always do your will. So how can iniquity be found in you? But listen to what he was asking. You have made your will so preeminent and my will so secondary that you have rejected me because I won't give you what you want when you want it, how you want it. And you consider that iniquity in me. You consider that failing to do what I promised to do. So you've rejected me. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Israel, and all the families of the house of Israel, house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain. I believe the body of Christ is called of God to assemble together. What that assembly is called biblically, we don't know. It's called by many names. Today, we call it church service. Okay, okay, church service. Until we limit our service to God by attending church activities, now we're outside of the book. We have made so many substitutions. We've made so many substitutions. We've substituted so much of the mechanics of religion for the dynamic spirituality of a walk with God. And the Lord wants to know why. Why? What what wrong have we found in him that would justify us to ourselves walking away from him like that. Again, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. Uh, What did you you find wrong with me, church? When you were on the other side of the tracks, when you didn't have a whole lot of education and you didn't have a whole lot of wealth, and you sought my face, and you were there, and I was the most important thing in your life. You found time among milking the cows and plowing the fields to seek my face. But now that you've got so much that I've given you, I brought you into a land of abundance because of the way you sought my face, because of all the promises you made to me when you had nothing. I gave you all of this. And now you've substituted all of this for me? (laughs) He built his tabernacle 
with the outside wall of badgered skin dyed red. And we wouldn't dream of building such an ugly edifice today because we're not trying to draw people to him. We're trying to attract them to our structures and our programs and our prayerlessness to our concerts where we have people leading us in prayer in uh, praise way too many times in way too many places that do not pray. Or if they pray, it's very little. And he wants to know why. What has he done to be treated like this? He brought us through. He brought us all these through these difficult times, these difficult difficult situations. He brought us through all of that when we sought his face. We sought for him. We wanted him. But now that we have more in this plentiful country and we've got plenty of good stuff to eat, now we're going to defile his land and we're going to make his heritage an abomination. The priest said not, verse 8, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. Ha! People that are preaching the word that don't know God, they're preaching about a God they don't even know. And people leading in praise to a God that they don't pray to, they don't know. And we think we're okay. And we want to grow our church. Grow what? It's our church, all right. It's not his. And all this rigmarole we go through, all of this stuff, all this fluff that we do to try to grow our church and build our crowd is all a confession on our part that we don't walk with God, that we don't pray, and that we don't trust him to build his church to us. And we don't need call to war. And we don't need six months of repentance as the Holy Ghost is asking us to do. And we don't need the fear of the Lord to come upon us and bring us to a place of conviction. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that they do not, that do not profit. So we got prophets that don't pray because of a gifting God gave them. And now they're using that like Baal did for personal prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. They are P-R-O-P-E-T. That prophesy for P-R-O-F-I-T. That's what Baal did. Wherefore, I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. Well, how will he plead with us? As I taught in the last lesson and in previous or last briefing in previous briefings, God's going to get our attention. He loves us too much to leave us alone. And, and of course, the world says, and some people in the church say this, how can a loving God let bad stuff happen to us? All that proves is how little you know him. How can a loving God, and I've said this several times, I'm going to keep on saying this, how can a loving God, a loving God, how can a loving God, Know how long eternity is. How horrible hell is. How impossible it will get be to get out of hell if you're sent there. How can he know all that and then let us sit back in our comfort and convenience and health and safety and prosperity and do nothing to get our attention? And bring us to repentance. How can he do that? And claim he loves us. How can he do that? He can't. And so he says, verse 9, Wherefore I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and send unto Kedar and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods unto gods that are not even gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. I, search throughout the world and see. I, 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 how, how's this possible, he's saying. 
The Father is saying to you and I, his body, his people, just like he said to natural Israel, he's saying to spiritual Israel. He's saying to the body of Christ, how can we change God's to stuff that isn't a God? How can we abandon the supernatural for natural methods that have no authority and no power, that are entertainment of the flesh, that appeals to humanity and the will of man? How can we do that? How is it possible? We've been, we were made partakers of the divine nature. We have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. How can we do that? How? How can we become religionists? How can we become Pentecostal traditionalists? How can we justify going through the motions and calling it something pleasing to God? How can we fill up our church calendars with activities and prayer not be any focus at all? Oh, we pray. Yeah, yeah, we pray. We pray before church. And what do we pray for? For God to bless the church service and for God to bring people to church because our prayers are all about that service. It's not about the kingdom. It's not fellowship with God. It's not about repentance and change and renewal and transformation, and being conformed into his image, and him being glorified through the church. He's coming back after a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's not coming back after a church that has stolen his glory. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is when he, by his spirit, by his power, according to his word, works through his conduits and does his work and gets all the credit. That's his glory. But when we do it for our name's sake, so we've got a reputation, so people will know who we are, so we have bigger numbers and bigger incomes and nicer facilities. And we're stealing his glory. And we've changed gods. Hath a nation changed their gods? Look throughout the world and see, he said. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? Has a nation gone from God, the God that's real, the one true and living God, to gods that are not real? Why do men worship idols? And we have plenty of idols in the church today. And it's not, oh, no, no, they're not little statues. They're worse. But why do men worship idols? And why is idolatry such a horrible concept to God? Because idols don't have wills. So people can worship idols and do their own will and claim that they are Christians, believers, because they can do contrary to the word of God. <laughs> Hath a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens. At this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. Why? Because he is a God of love, and he's not going to sit back and let that go on without doing something. If he has to let a virus become pandemic to the point that the people of this world panic over the pandemic, and those in governmental authority shuts our church services down because of fear of us gathering so that we have to get back to the real. I'm not opposed to going to a facility to pray and to gather with the people of God, but when that substitutes for God, when that gathering becomes what it's about, and when our liturgy and format of that gathering is and fulfilling that is what it's all about, and when our prayers are all focused on God blessing that church service and bringing people to that church service rather than his word and doing his will and seeking his kingdom first, if he has to do it, he will do it, and he is doing it. And what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Oh, 
the problem is this. Things come, things go. Like the semi going down the highway with a piece of paper laying on the road. The turbulence of the semi going by gets that, that, that piece of paper all up in the air. And when the semi goes past and the turbulence begins to calm, that piece of paper goes right back like it was beforehand. That's the way it is with some people. God tries to get their attention. He begins to move. They pray in that time of crisis, and they get all stirred up and whatever. But as soon as God lets the crisis wane, and he always does, the same one that allows the crisis always has an end to the crisis. Why? So that things can get back to normal to find out if you'll go back to your old normal or you'll go to this new spiritual normal and stay there. He always lets that happen. So be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Here it is. You want the diagnosis? Here's the diagnosis by the Lord. For, for, for this cause, this is the problem. Here's my struggle, the Lord's saying. This is what I've got wrong here. This is what I'm so displeased about. My people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, holes in the ground. But, but not just cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's why we are so addicted to good church services because what we get from God drains out with all the brokenness in us, the right out, we, we, right out into the worldly lives we live. And I'm not talking about worldly from the state of, uh, from the perspective of holiness. There's a lot of people that are separated but are worldly because their focus is this world. They covet the things of this world. They, 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 they're after the things of this world. They seek the, okay pleasures of this world first rather than God. They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Even though they look holy, even though they go to church faithfully, pay all of their tithes. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. That's first sin. Second sin, they've hewn themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, uh, woman, give me to drink. She said, "You don't. You, uh, you're a Jew. You're not supposed to be talking to me." And he said, "If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink? You'd ask of Him, and He'd give you living water." And she said, "Where are you going to get this water from? You don't have anything to draw with this well. It's deep." He said, "Whoever drinks of this natural water, I'm paraphrasing now. That that person's going to thirst again." But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But it shall, this water shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. That word in the Greek translated well in John chapter 4, 14 is also translated springs. It's also translated fountains. This is talking about people that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So we had the Holy Ghost. We had the Spirit of God in us. We've been made partaker of divine natures. We've tasted of the good word of God and the power of the worlds to come. We've had all of that. Uh, but we can't do our will and walk in all that. So we've substituted. We okay. We're going to, we're going to dig out holes that we need him to fill living water in cisterns. A well has its own source of supply. A cistern does not. It has to be manually filled and it just simply holds water to be used when needed. But if it's broken cistern, it doesn't hold the water. So we're constantly trying to fill it back up and it doesn't fill up. And so what is the focus of so many of our traditional Pentecostal church services, people that have been saved forever, going to church, trying to get filled again, just so I need to get filled up again because I got a tough week coming. I need to get filled up again. No, he gave me a well. It's always there. I don't go to church to get full. Two, two sins. 
sins. Not my word, his words. For my people have committed two evils, two sins. They've forsaken me. They've gone after the flesh. Having begun in the spirit, Paul said to the Galatians, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You started out right. But somewhere in here, you got off base bad. Very badly. So he says, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? I gave you your own nation. I moved wicked people out and gave you their land. A land flowing with milk and honey. I gave you all that. You're not in poverty. You're not a slave. And you forsook me for slavery to idolatry, slavery to your own will, slavery to your flesh. The young lions roared upon him and yelled. They made his his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the children of Noph and Tahapanes have broken the, the crown of thy head. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself in that Hast thou, hast thou not procured this unto thyself and that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when he led thee by the way? We complain to God, why are you letting this happen? He's saying, what? You haven't brought this upon yourself and forsaking me? Have you totally misunderstood my love? Paul said it. Everybody that's loved is chastened. He corrects those he loves. And when the child disobeys, then they bring chastisement upon themselves. It's not the parents' fault they get chastised. They made these choices. And he said, haven't you brought this on yourself? In that thou hast forsaken the Lord, which led thee by the way. And now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? What hast thou to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Backslidings? You mean prayerlessness is backslidden or calling it prayer when it's just religious exercise, just putting in our time praying, just fulfilling some religious obligation. You mean that's being backslidden in his sight? Yeah, because you see the backslider in heart's filled with his own ways or his own will. So I can obey God's word outwardly and be full of iniquity in here because I'm filled with my own ways, my own will, and wanting to do my own will. And I prayed and asked God to give me what I wanted. He won't do it, so I'm going to take care of it myself. Uh, why should I go to him? He's not doing what I want him to do. Why should I Why should I do that? I go to church. I, I make sure I, I do the stuff I have to do to be saved. I don't know who told you that. I don't know who told you that. I don't know who told you you can be saved by going to church and paying your tithes and living holy and obeying the preacher and not doing the will of God every day. I don't know who told you that, but they lied to you. They lied to you. You're going to, you got to choose, my friend. You're going to believe God or you're going to believe the word of God or you're going to believe man. You're going to believe the lies you've been told or you're going to believe what the word of God says. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord of hosts. If there's anything lacking in the church of the living God today in general, it's the fear of the Lord. Paul said in, in, in Romans 3, there's no fear of God before their eyes. When we're revived, the fear of the Lord will be in our midst and the fear of the Lord brings conviction. And when we're under conviction, we will witness with conviction. We will pray with conviction. Yes, we will. There's no fear. And that my fear is not in thee. One more time. Verse 19, thine own wickedness, Jeremiah 2, thine own wickedness shall correct thee and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter 
that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord of hosts. For of an old time have I broken thy yoke, burst thy bands, and thou saidest, I will not transgress, when upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest, playing the harlot. You were slaves to sin. You were slaves to this world. And I broke that bondage, and I brought you out of slavery. I broke the bond and broke the yoke that had you bound. I did all that for you. And you said, I won't transgress. I'll do your will. I'll give myself to you, God. But you played the harlot. You're living by your own will. You're trying to please man. You're trying to please the world. Verse 21, yet I had had planted thee in a, a noble vine, holy a right seed, and then... How thou, how then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? You started, I planted you. You were right when I planted you. I used good seed and you became a noble vine in me. What happened? What happened? For though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee, take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord. And here we are again to that word. Jesus defined iniquity. Mark, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, is those that do not do the will of his Father in heaven, 24-7. Yes, 24-7. So I can wash me as much as I want, and I could take all the soap I want. Yet, as long as I walk in my iniquity, my iniquity is marked before me. And God sees that first and foremost when he looks at me. Instead of seeing his robe of righteousness, his robe of innocence, because I'm submitted to his will, and I'm not trusting in my own works and ability to be righteous, but I'm, I've received his righteousness by faith in him through, his, through obedience to his word, our sins and our iniquities have separated between us and God. Verse 23, how canst thou say I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. See thy way in the valley. Know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dromedary transversing her ways. You say, well, what have I done? I haven't haven't become a false prophet for, for, for money like Baal. No. You're just swiftly running, doing your own thing, your own will, running your own life, making your own decisions. And that's not acceptable to me. (laughs) Verse 24, a wild ass used to the wilderness, that snuffing up the wind at her pleasure, in her occasion who can turn her away. All they that seek her will not weary themselves in her month. They shall find her Withhold thy foot from being unshod and thy foot, thy throat from thirst. But thou saidest, there is no hope, for I have loved strangers, and after them will I go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so the house of Israel, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets, saying to a stock, thou art my father, and to a stone thou hast brought me forth. For they have turned their back unto me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. He's going to let trouble come. In the world, we shall have tribulation. And if we don't have peace, it's because we're walking in iniquity. There's only peace by living according to the will of the Father. There is no peace if I'm living by my own will, I can pray all I want about my will. I can ask God to do all I want and he, I can press him till he gives me what I want, but I'm not going to have peace because it's not his will. It's not his will. And so Israel is ashamed. They've been caught. Okay. Okay. You found us. We, we've been committing whoredoms and fornications and, and whatever. We've been participating in idolatry. Yes, we have, but we're going to pray to this 
piece of wood to this stone. And we're going to say, arise and save us. Verse 28, but where are thy gods that thou hast made, that, that thou hast made thee? Let them arise if they can save thee in the time of trouble. You're going to live your way until trouble comes, and then you're going to call on me. And you haven't repented of your ways. You haven't repented of your iniquities living after your own will. But you want me to save you out of trouble. You don't want me to save you from yourself, from your flesh, from your, 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 your self-will. You don't want me to save you from that. You want me to save you from trouble. So I'm going to say to you, let those gods you've been serving rather than me, let them save you. Let your own will that you've been following, let that save you. <laughs> but where are thy gods that thou hast made? Let them arise if they can, if they can save thee in thy time of trouble. For according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. Wherefore will ye plead with me? Ye have tra- all, yeah, all have transgressed against me, saith the Lord. In vain I have smitten or corrected your children. They receive no correction. Your own sword have, hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. And here it is. This is where I started. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore, say my people, we are lords and will come no more unto thee. After all I've done, bringing you out of bondage, out of darkness, have you turned me into darkness in your lives to find some other false light? Have you rejected me? No. We know now who the real idol is. My people will say, verse 31, we are lords. We don't have to pray to you anymore. And that's how he answered this, asked this question that I started with. Verse 32, can a man a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Oh, my friend, my brother, my sister. We need to repent. We need to repent. We need the spirit of the fear of the Lord to come upon us. We need our eyes opened, our hearts opened, our minds opened. We need to be able to see and hear and perceive with our hearts so that we can repent and be converted and be saved. We need that desperately. In this call toward direction for 2020, the Lord has instructed me to ask all who will to pray and fast one day a month, March through September. And during that day, have a 24-hour prayer chain for those that will participate. How you do that, that's your, however God leads you to do, that's fine. But during this six months, it's time of prayer and repentance and revival. We need to be revived. We're trying to have harvest without first being revived. We're bringing new converts in to sit among the dead, those that have no commitment to God, that do not walk in the will of God. We, we want to bring new people in and sit them among that crowd so that they become just like that. Seriously, we need revival. Then in October, the Holy Ghost is asking us, every church that will, to have one day a week for the first three weeks of October that we will fast and pray, that we will have a 24-hour prayer chain and fast that day. And then the last week of October, Tuesday through Friday nights, 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th of October, the Holy Ghost is asking for all of us to gather together at church and pray as a gathering. You can pray at home But the Holy Ghost wants us to come together and pray and repent together and seek him together because that month of October is going to be warfare against the spirit of iniquity so that the lost of this world, he can, so that he will be restrained and restricted and the lost of this world will be set free so they'll be at least have a chance to be saved. This is what God is calling us to do. My people, he said, have 
forgotten me days without number. It's time to abandon our cistern and turn back and renew our relationship with the fountain of living water that will will spring up in us unto everlasting life continuously. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have a book, a couple of books called Interlinear Greek New Testaments. And especially with the Greek New Testament manuscript called the Textus Receptus, that's Latin for received text, which is the text that the King James Bible was translated from. In that interlinear, in John 4.14, there are three words that for whatever reason, even the King James translators chose not to translate. Most of them, at least. Young's literal translation translates it. A few others do. And so he said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But those three Greek words are for this age. Because I am supposed to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm just not supposed to hunger and thirst for this age. And so I'm supposed to have hunger all the time, thirst all the time. But I also have been given a well of living water to be in me all the time. The fourth to the last verse, if I remember correctly, of the entire Bible. It says, let him that is a thirst come and drink of the water of life freely. How can I do that if I've abandoned the fountain of living water and I've hewn out a cistern of religion that I'm trying to get to hold living water to keep me spiritually alive? Some are just surviving. They're just surviving because we have not repented. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of prayer and the spirit of grace, and the spirit of supplication, and the spirit of warfare and travail intercession upon us, that we would seek God. I loose the spirit of the fear of the Lord upon us. I loose the spirit of conviction of our sins upon us. How can, in Jesus' name, that we would pray and that we would repent so that the fear of the Lord would be in our gatherings and the spirit of the fear of the Lord would be sensed and the conviction of God would be sensed when we talk to a soul about God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so. God bless you. Thank you for watching. I want to remind you that all of the call to war briefings are sequential. So if you have not watched any or all of the previous call to war briefings, I am encouraging you right now that you would do that today. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.